0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for 20, 30, and 40-year-old people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston. And this season, we're talking about the skills that pay the bills. So I'm extremely excited to have Lucy Jones with me today. Lucy's held various senior HR roles in a number of sectors. So thanks for joining us today, Lucy.
1: Hi, I'm very delighted to be here.
0: I just wanted to talk our listeners through kind of your experiences. So, you know, where did you go to school? Did you attend university coming out of that? How did you get your first job? Sort of, could you just go back to the beginning and give us a bit of an idea of your career?
1: Yeah, I, um, yeah, I did a fairly traditional kind of school route. You know, uh, I grew up in the uh, beautiful county of Kent I went to a grammar school in Kent and then I went on to uh, Manchester University, in fact, actually. And I, I studied languages. Languages was my thing. I, um, it was the kind of early 90s when all of Europe was opening up and everyone was going to need people to speak French and German. And, it was, you know, fascinating now to look back on that and how everything's changed. Um, so, yeah, I went, went to Manchester University, uh, did my degree in French um, and I sort of did a sort of subsidiary in Japanese. Uh, And spent a year uh, working in Paris in France for a large French pharmaceutical company. And at that time, I was what they call a stagiaire or a work placement student. And I was put in in the HR department. Um, So that was like my first kind of taster. I was working in the training team, um, just coordinating training, booking training, that kind of stuff. And of course, had an amazing life experience living in a different country at the age of 21, uh, living in East Paris um and then I graduated and like many people I just wasn't ready I didn't know what I wanted to do um which you know when you're 21 22 lots of people don't know what they do and I think you know career is a voyage of discovery for most people and if you speak to most people about how did you end up in dot 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 they all kind of say well it's a funny story it's an accident it's a it's not deliberate um unless perhaps you've got a really strong vocation to sort of be a doctor or something." But um, Yeah, I um, ended up spending kind of a couple years in Japan and some time traveling um, in Asia, again, doing lots of sort of self-discovery and uh, living in different cultures and traveling in different cultures. And then I came back to the UK and quite frankly, my mom was kind of, I think you need to get a real job. And um, so I had enjoyed my time in HR. I'd done a bit of teaching in Japan. And so I applied for a sort of training administrator role, actually, in 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 an American retail company. Um, went for the interview, and again, uh, Voyager Discovery. I ended up getting a job, but not the training administrator job. It was actually a, a job in the kind of what they call compensation and benefits side of HR, uh, which not my natural skill set. Actually, sort of pensions and payroll and figures and numbers. And um, but uh, yeah, I had a phenomenal accelerated sort of uh, path through there, and uh, also picked up my, my postgraduate in, in HR management. So that was my kind of early career, how I, how I landed in it. But uh, yeah, not, not by design, as is often the case.
0: I really love that phrase, a voyage of discovery. And I like that idea of it not being linear. We talk a lot about ladders when we talk about climbing corporate ladders. And I think it's just a misnomer because there are very few times in your life where actually you get on a ladder, you climb it, and then you retire. And I think that's, that's one thing that our listeners, if, if you are on a ladder and you're feeling stuck right now, it's probably because you need to shift to a different ladder, to a jungle gym, to a squiggly career. You know, those are all yep. those kind of phrases that people are using, but it sounds like HR then is a bit of a beast. So you talked about one area of HR and then you talked about a different area of HR where there's pensions and that sort of yep. thing for our listeners who have no experience in what HR is. Can you give us a bit of a of a breadth of what you've done? Because this is all about skills that pay the bills, transferable skills. And it sounds like a career in HR is one where you have to have loads of transferable skills and be able to move from one area to another. So training, pensions, give us give us a little bit of flavor guys.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's true of many functions. You know, often people think well, just because you do accounting it just must be just all numbers. And you know, just because you do HR, it's you know the classic one about it, it's really just hiring and firing people and of course there's a, there's a lot more to HR than simply that and for me HR's kind of split into sort of four areas there's there is the recruitment side which of course is all around attraction so marketing you know people now have got very strong agendas on their kind of what they call their EVP employee value proposition so how do you market how do you attract talent and skills and different and diverse skills to a business um, and the role I'm currently in um it's a, it's a large large construction firm doing you know huge mobilization of people um you know probably a thousand or so a year so you know incredibly intense in the recruitment in the recruitment area there's also learning and development which i spent time doing as a specialism um for a couple of years which was which is probably my one of my most rewarding and joyous parts of my career um, because it was again something I was asked to do and I remember at the time my boss said oh we want to take you out of a more generous role and put you into learning development to which I uh, to lead the department actually of around sort of 20 or 30 people and I remember saying well you know, I don't I'm not I'm not an L&D specialist I don't, I don't understand like training theory and the leadership development and organizational capability and all these kind of complex words and and he said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You know, we need you to sort of lead the team from a people leadership perspective. And you've got some great technical people around you who know all that good stuff. And so for me, it was a phenomenal learning curve, um, actually being in learning development. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, I always look back on that part of my career most fondly because I absolutely learned the most. I learned I went in knowing very little and I came out two or three years later feeling like I'd learned a lot more. And of course, Ultimately, what it did, it made me a better HR director, because now I know that specialism in depth. So kind of recruitment, learning development. There's the IR or industrial relations piece with unions, which is, you know, an employee relations, which is more legal, understanding about employment law. And, you know, when things go wrong and how to do contracts and negotiate, and good stuff like that. Um, and then, as I said, the compensation, benefits, cyber, pay, rations, reward—much more kind of technical, analytical. So, within the HR remit, there is probably any number of skills that you would you would consider. For example, if I was hiring a reward person, I'd be much more prone to look at someone with a, a financial, analytical type background than I would an HR background. I would would never take a, a recruitment person and put them in a reward, uh, compensation, benefits role. So. As I said, for the listeners out there that are sort of thinking, you know, HR must be just about recruitment or it's all about people, you know, I've worked with some phenomenal reward people who are introverted, analytical, all into their numbers, you know, uh, which many people, HR people aren't actually, so incredibly valuable in 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 the profession. And in fact, probably the highest paid area of HR. So for me, you know, for the listeners, yeah, think Every single function, not just HR, but finance or IT, you know, IT as project management, so many different functions now have such a broad range of generalist skills that are required um, that, you know, you shouldn't block yourself to off to the sort of the range of opportunities that I think are out
0: there. I really like the fact that you said you learn the most in a learning and development role. I mean, that just, that just works perfectly for me. I love that. Um, <laughs> So I think, I think one of the things I want to pick up on here is the fact that there are so many different roles within areas. Um, How do you find out something like, obviously we're talking to you now, so we're getting some in-depth information about HR, but what would you suggest to our listeners that somebody wants to enter into an area, they want to do something there, but actually it's kind of this blocked off place for them. What could they do to get unstuck and get into that area?
1: I think if I was to give listeners advice, what's, what's really interesting is there is, if you want to move functions or roles, so say you're in a role where you're kind of stuck and you're, you know, you kind of feel like you're repeating the same stuff and you're not really learning and, and getting deep joy of that role anymore, is it's much easier to move within a company than it is to try and move sector or department kind of outside of a company. So if you're in, you know, if you're in, say, I don't know, communications role today and you're really interested in HR. Um, and this this happened in my last organization when I was working in automotive took someone from the communications team who you know wanted a complete change of career um, uh, was kind of in his mid-40s wanted to make the move and came and spoke to me and I'd actually say it's that simple go and speak to people in your organization and and build your internal network Um, I had a role available he was very well thought of within his communication specialism. You know what, he, know, he knew how to write well, talk to people well, communicate. He was hardworking and all that. And for me, I I just thought what a great opportunity um, for someone to cringe, you know, if I can't do it within HR, take someone from a different uh, functional department, then I could hardly expect other people to do it. So he moved into HR and, and still maintains his day. It was the best move he ever made. Now, could he have done that externally? Probably not because he would have had to go convince a new organization that, you know, he wanted to make that career change. Whereas he was a known commodity within his own organization. We knew he was great. We knew he was hardworking. We knew he could deliver. For me, that's all the raw material I need to be able to, you know, uh, give him the HR stuff, right? That's just the the technical stuff you learn. So for me, definitely, if you are stuck, go approach different people, have lunch, take someone for coffee and say, you know, what's it like to work in finance? You know, kind of what are the skills you're looking for? because there'll be project management roles in finance, there'll be, you know, all sorts of different things that um, you wouldn't necessarily, which aren't always about crunching numbers.
0: Yeah. And right there, just explaining transferable skills perfectly. So it's kind of what can you do in your current role that would be, would work well in this other role. And absolutely, I, I cannot agree with you more is, especially if you're within your organization, you're feeling stuck start talking to people, start talking to your mentor, start talking to your boss, be open with your boss about what you want to do. I think all of my twenties, I was very closed off with where I wanted to go. And, and I don't know if that is because I was working in the U S versus working in the UK. Cause I know it's very different. You're an at-will employee in the U S you can get fired on the spot. So if you said, I'm really interested in moving to HR, they're like, great, you can go move in HR somewhere else. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. Whereas in the UK, it takes a little bit more to get rid of you. So, you know, maybe yeah. that's part of it. But for, for our listeners, you know, find the people that you can have those honest conversations with. Cause even if you're in a cor- you know, in a corporate where they could fire you, you're not well employee, there are yeah. still going to be people you can talk to and trust.
1: I think different organizations do it differently and some do it really well. And and I would say the more traditional sectors, um, so I've I've worked for a number of years in, in, in construction. Uh, for, for a couple of large organizations absolutely love the sector just brilliant you know humble leadership phenomenal people uh great place to just so many good good values uh and, and and in my view you know excellent treatment of people but they're quite traditional in the you know the portfolio career really hasn't taken off it's still you know you train and be an engineer and then you'll kind of you'll kind of be an engineer uh or you'll stay within these what i call swim lanes and people because I think the nature of something like construction engineering is, you know, you're, you're hired, appointed on your track record. So, you know, how many great complicated bridges have you built or how many railways have you built? And, you know, that's not something you can just kind of come from a PR or an HR background and decide to do. So they naturally have a a tendency to sort of kind of generally keep people uh, more in their swim lanes. However, you know, we see more and more examples of people coming from, you know, engineers going into being into commercial roles or, you know, or, or, you know, I've had people in HR before going to construction management. Um, so it is happening, but I've seen other organizations. So I was in fast moving consumer goods for a while, or FMCG as it's known. And it was really encouraged. In fact, the more kind of, you know, functions and areas you could get experience in, the more, you know, your kind of employee value went up. So, you know, I've done some stuff in marketing, I've been in, you know brand I've been in kind of um, sales I've been in you know I've done some analytical I've done digital stuff customer experience stuff you you were you were a much more valued commodity for having done those um, different different jumps in different departments and in fact yeah people you know I think used to come to me more in HR and say you know I've been in you know customer experience for like eight years I'm getting really nervous you know I haven't I need to go do something else don't I you know almost talking themselves into doing a different different function so definitely depending on the sector you're in you can have you know those switches are easier um, uh, or more challenging.
0: I think yes in the financial institutions um, that I've worked in one of the things I've noticed is the executives um, a lot of them have done different roles so some of them have just jumped around and sometimes they'll take an executive who's in a specific area and move them to a completely different area And I can imagine that's very daunting, even if you're that senior and you're, you're that executive because you're, you're moving from something that is your comfort zone that you're an expert in, that you're known in, and you're an unknown entity in this new area, but it happens at all levels. And I think the more experience you have, the more you get those transferable skills and the easier it is to recognize that actually, as you said, when you moved into learning and development, when you're in a leadership role, it's more about leadership and relying on the technical people below you. And so when you're looking at your career, really assess where you are. Are you in that kind of technical doer stage of your career, which is it? Yeah. Everyone has to go through it. It's part and parcel, you know, yep. with becoming a leader is actually doing the technical bit or are you in the, are you ready to move into that leadership role where actually it's more about how do you rally the troops? How do you get everybody together? How do you have that kind of humble leadership and, and that sort yep. of thing? Um, you know, and and actually one of the things I wanted, I wanted to kind of step back and look at that you talked about on your journey was getting your master's. So you said that you took some time out and you got a master's and was this while you were working? Did you do it through an organization? Um, how did you end up doing that? And is there a benefit that you would you've seen from that?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And um, I actually did my, uh, I did mine through um, working. So I didn't I didn't stop work. I, I worked full time and I went to evening school, night school, two nights a week. Um, you know, it was a gruelling two or two and a half years, if I recall. And, um, you know, I remember sort of putting the pen down on my thesis saying never again, you know, because even in your spare time, you're feeling guilty that you should be reading, um, you know, kind of business books and, and things like that. So you just feel like you're never, you're never either working, studying or feeling guilty about not studying enough. Um, so really challenging and I would essentially I get a lot of people again in my in my role in the, in the few years about you know should I do an MBA is that going to open doors for me you know again huge investment of money time and commitment you know and if you've got a young family or again you're trying to work full-time I mean some of these things are just kind of you know really really challenging to do and I often I'm not so sure that some of the, the master's degrees and the MBAs and do they really propel you to the kind of upper lessons of management and and or do they really make you a better leader you know because you've got an MBA suddenly you are you know uh, up for the next promotion and I know certainly a lot of MBA providers you know claim all these kind of great things that will happen to you when, you, when you've when you got these letters after your name or this that and the other and I think charterships are different because you know if you become a chartered accountancy or uh, you know uh, IC so in civil engineering or you you kind of automatically sort of, you know, kind of get a tick and you're the next rung up and it's your professional qualification. But I would be a little bit wary of undertaking academic qualifications unless you have a strong track record in operational delivery. Because I've met a lot of people with MBAs who've never actually delivered much in a business context. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And likewise with other kind of you know, long-listed qualification, if you enjoy academia, fantastic, you know, why not go for it, and I think on a CV it stands out as someone who's stuck the distance, because a lot of these um, additional qualifications when you're not working, oh, sorry, when you're working, as a sign of at least you know, tenacity and grit to see things through, but do I think that my master's made me a better HR person, have I used a lot of those, uh, that theory and stuff in my work, no, not really, um, but it was I guess in some careers it's not that you've got it it's that almost if you don't have it people often wonder why you don't have it Mm. so for me yeah for for the academics that may probably disagree so I think do it for the joy of it uh do it because it will it will it will certainly stand out and help you but definitely don't go around collecting kind of brownie badges of qualifications thinking it's somehow gonna it's gonna change your career because the questions are always going to come you know oh you've done this great you know blah 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 actually so how what does that look like in practice because that's Mm -hmm. what i'm doing if i'm hiring you i'm i'm buying you for your skills and what you're going to bring to the party and if you've never practically done something then you're not that valuable perhaps as valuable as you think you are
0: i think that's great advice um so stepping back you have had some really varied roles in your career uh, and you have you've had some very senior roles you've moved from some huge, you know, household name organizations to other huge household name organizations. I think some of our listeners might be stuck because they have what I like to call the loyalty issue. Mm. And it's essentially you, you work for a company, you have got either great benefits, a really good retirement plan. You have, you know, flexible working arrangements, you have something in place that's holding you back. So that's the reason why you're stuck. Yep. How did you yourself make that determination that it was either time to go, where to go? How did you do that jump? Can you, can you give any advice to listeners on sort of what Lucy did in her life to make those jumps?
1: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because you know I've got a number of people I've known over the years. You've know, stayed with the same company for like thirty years, or um, you know, um, you know, stayed very much in again their swim lane, done the same job, but for the same kind of type of company, the same type of sectors. And I guess it's some of it is a question of also you know self confidence. And actually, I suspect all your many of your listeners, um, you know, you're better than you know you are actually. And I think sometimes, you know it's the fear of stepping out into the unknown. And there are some very compelling, as you say, some very compelling anchors for you to stay in an organisation. You know, wow, they let me, you know, they let me kind of drop my son off every Wednesday morning quite late. And that's, you know, I'd hate to lose that if I went to a new company. But, you know, life's changed. You know, all company, virtually many companies now are realising that if they don't offer some degree of flexibility. They're just not going to get the talent. Um, so think think of all the things that you the reasons that you stay and there might be good reasons to stay and some people stay I know um, uh, that name name. someone who's you know saying a large telecoms business for many many years you can have a portfolio career within a very large global organization which which in itself can be you know a career within a career if you like without having to actually leave 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 that leave that corporation but for me I think you know I've always had a thirst for sort of new and different things and wanting to go and experience different things and again I I passionately believe it it ultimately makes you better at your job and even um the organizations where you go and it doesn't work out you know culture doesn't suit you it's a bit like relationships and I always tell this story and people always laugh that work is like a relationship you know sometimes it's great sometimes it's not great you have to really work at it sometimes you feel like leaving sometimes it's you know (coughs) excuse me deep deep joy But ultimately, there are times when you think I need to move on. It's, it's, you know, it's better for me to move on. It's not, it's not working for me anymore. And for me, that's probably down to learning. I'm not learning new things. I'm doing the same things I did six months ago, a year ago. I need to go and do new stuff. And I think you can really only get that in, in different organizations and ultimately different sectors.
0: Hmm. So, so basically, um, was there ever times you talked about regretting a move Um, and or you go somewhere and the culture is not what you expected it to be or it just doesn't their values don't really match up with what you're doing did you ever leave somewhere go somewhere else and kind of either immediately or within a couple of months been like oh this was a bad move and if so what did you do about it
1: yeah tricky I mean I actually if I look back I've I've always been and I think that's again advice to listeners always really think about the type of organization where you want to work and you know they all do have very different cultures and different ways of working and some are very similar you know some are very long hours cultures some some you know don't someone some organization very performance oriented you are expected to deliver numbers hard numbers commercial outcomes all that kind of stuff whereas others you know sort of more people development organizations perhaps not so focused on performance so if you're ever thinking about moving do all your due diligence just don't you know, yeah. Of course, look up the financial numbers and how many employees they've got and where they're located, but also try and get some really tangible stories um, around the type of culture that it, that's in. And there are many websites now and ratings, um, uh, sort of apps and things that can tell you what people say about a company. For me, I I haven't necessarily made yeah moves where I thought you know a couple of months down, I oh this this was this was really wrong because I think I've always thought you've got to give everything kind of six months at least because again like any new relationship you're finding things out things are different you know some companies are very advanced technologically and very digitalized and others are quite backward and you think wow this is you know I've sort of stepped back five years Um, but for me I think I'd always say unless there's something of course grossly grossly disturbing about a company in terms of the people or is to just give something time, give it, give it three to six months before you kind of pull the plug. But, but also if it's not right and it feels wrong and in your heart, it feels wrong and in your gut, then leave because ultimately it's like staying in a bad relationship and it's just not going to work for you. And it's probably only going to get worse. Um, and you're going to become unhappy. If you're unhappy at work, you're typically unhappy at home. Um, cause you'll take that home with you
0: yeah i think the the relationship is such a good analogy and if you think about the amount of time you spend at work Mm. if you're miserable there i why are you still there i often ask this question of people that i coach or i mentor if you're miserable why are you still there so if you're feeling stuck and miserable do something about it and it could be as easy as go have some coffees with people to find out even within your own company as you said Go find some people that are doing something different. Write down the things that bring you joy. Write down the things that actually excite you about your job or something that, I, you know, talking to people. I'm a huge extrovert. So I love talking to people. I love being around people. People that are more introverted might really love focusing and doing numbers and spreadsheets. Like, don't give me a spreadsheet. Just don't want it, you know? <laughs> Someone else can do that. Someone else is the extrovert in that and they will do that and they'll love it, not me. So, you know, find out what it is. What do you love? And and talk to some people and say, what do you do in your job? Like, and if it sounds like something you want to do, investigate it a bit more and look yep. internally, look externally, and just start having those conversations.
1: And I think I think as well, it's um think about what would it need to look and feel like to make it feel right for you? You know, if you know, and often if you're when you're offered a, a job, you know, if somebody's really, really attracted to you and the skills you've got, you know, sometimes that's the question we often ask is you know, what, what has it got to be? Not not just in terms of salary and package, but what, what are your kind of absolute things you're not going to compromise on? And, and the, the job I, I, I've taken where I've been for about a year now was it's based about 100 miles from my home. And I have a young family. And for me, it was just kind of the deal breaker. Like, I don't want to be there five days a week, not because, not uh, you know, I don't like being in the office. In fact, I love it. But I also know what I'm like. I'm terrible. Uh, I, I'll work long hours if, if I'm not, if I'm, you know, self manage myself at the office. And I just thought it's going to impact my home life. And so one of the discussions was, you know, I will commit to you three days a week in the office. I'll do a day perhaps in one of the London offices and a day at home, but I can't do five days a week because I'll just be getting home every night at nine o'clock and that's just not going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were really open and upfront about that conversation um at the beginning. And I was really fortunate that, you know, my now boss was like, that's just not a problem for us, you know. You know, focus on outputs it's about what you deliver it's not about it's not about where you are so no, don't discover those things you know post post you've accepted you know make sure that you're clear and even if you're moving internally within a company like we said trying to move into a department find out about what that boss is like what they accept what they don't um you know because some of those things i always say about money money never fixes anything you know if you hate your job with a vengeance another five thousand pounds or another ten thousand pounds is not going to make you hate it any less you will still hate it Uh, and it won't even feel that sweet after three six months it'll wear off very fast so for me do what you you know do things that you like um and and always kind of value those non-financial benefits of a role which might be a bit of flexibility it might be having a great boss it might be uh you know cool office it might be the fact that you cycle you know from from the station to the office and it keeps you fit and keeps you thin um those are all non-financial but actually really important uh, things about the work dynamic about the work relationship
0: do you have any suggestions for people so if you're going into a rather senior role and you're you know you are an outstanding candidate it's quite easy to say i'd love to talk to some people in the team i'd love to have some time with them but if you're a little bit more junior um, other than, other than accessing the websites that you mentioned, some of which, um, are probably better than others. And some of which are probably areas where people who are unhappy might go. Yep. So it, it's sometimes it's a bit yep. hard sure. to, to gauge that. Um, would you say that, that even if you're junior, that's a legitimate question in terms of, can I talk to a few people in the team or are there a few other people in the organization I can speak to?
1: Yeah, I think, I think what's really important is, um, and it's funny, isn't it, that people take jobs. It's a bit like buying a house. You buy a house, you know, you look around it for 10 minutes and you spend an enormous amount of money, you know, on a property. You would never, you know, whereas you might spend, you know, an hour trying a dress on and off before you before you actually purchase it. And jobs are a bit the same. You go for an interview. You have maybe an hour talk with someone. You might even have a second interview, you know, again. And Some people have never even visited the workplace where they're going to actually work. Um, And then, you know, not meet any of the team people, not even meet their potential team and yet then take you know quite a size you know the company's making a huge investment in somebody buying buying something that they don't actually know how it operates it looks and feels so I think even for a junior person um you know before accepting you know if, if it was looking like a really positive sort of conversation is to say you know would it be okay if like I could have a coffee with one of the team members just like get a get the get the lowdown on kind of how how things work around here and you know and I actually think as, as someone who certainly at the moment it's in the employment employment game in terms of lots of recruiting i'd be delighted by that because i think that's that's someone showing real proactivity around wanting to make sure that they fit uh, making sure that you know they're going to be able to do their best you know contribute they bring their best self to work um, you know almost i'd get more nervous if someone just said yeah no problem i'll just take the opportunity without really thinking it through and and doing their doing their homework so as i said you know i think it's true that we do probably more investigation on where we're going on a holiday than we do on uh, before you go to a resort, Than you go to an employer in the same way that you look around a house and you one of the biggest purchases of your life. And you probably make that decision off the back of 10 minutes. Yeah, so I, never feel shy about pushing asking those. That question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I have a hilarious story about we bought our house and when we pulled up on the first day, I noticed there was a massive Superman wall And then when I walked in, there was a massive Avengers wall, which then became the playroom, which was fine. But like, that's something huge that I just completely missed when I walked around the house. I was like, what else did I miss? But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I fully agree with that. You take just a few minutes, buy a huge purchase. Same thing with getting into a job is actually do your due diligence ask around if there are people on LinkedIn also that you know that work there reach out to them Mm -hmm. if you have contacts you know if you know for instance if somebody was in the automotive industry and you have a contact that works in the automotive industry I know it's sort of like oh you're from America do you know such and such what's it like to work for
1: Peugeot or what's it like to work for Nissan or you know ask these questions yeah Yeah. because all all organizations tend to have a you know, a reputation, uh, it, and even and even small ones as well. It's not just about large, big corporates with their flashy value statements and kind of funky websites. You know, most companies have something about them. You know, if they're owner managed, really interesting cultures. You know, when, when they're managed by someone who owns the business, that's a very different dynamic um, because it's their money. It's their they're emotionally very invested in those businesses, and therefore, you know, that can be really good, but it also can be really challenging because you know, inability to perhaps stand back and. Be objective about sometimes what businesses need. So, you know, each business type has you know a foreign-owned you know organisation that, as you know, Kimberly, that's maybe you know head, headquarters in the US. You know, it still has an influence, even though you think you're working for a British company. US headquarters can have a quite you know a dominating force on on how things happen in the UK, and, and again working for European companies some have a much more centralized way of of controlling and managing their affairs whereas others are much more decentralized and let the countries kind of get on and do whatever they need to do and completely accept the local context rather than trying to imprint their their kind of their values and ways of doing things so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i think also having those conversations can give you some really good questions to ask in your interviews as well so really good really good tip for on your interviews so along this way you've had this amazing Career, you have done some awesome things. I mean, going to teach in Japan in itself was a dream of mine that I never got to fulfill. Uh, you know, studying, studying and working in France, um, coming back over to the UK, doing these kind of senior roles. So along the way, using these transferable skills, doing all these things, what did you discover about yourself?
1: I think, you know, it's a bit, you know, a bit like life, you know, you you as you as you move through your career, you learn more and more about yourself. And I, I always maintain you should never get to a senior position and not actually kind of almost be at peace with, you know, what you're great at, what you're not great at, what are the watchouts for you, you know, what are your derailers. And, um, you know, nowadays I obviously you can imagine I've had many sort of psychometric reports done on me over the years. And, you know, I actually did one the other day for a, uh, a new piece of work I'm doing. And I sort of laughed saying, yeah, tell me something I don't know. So I learned a lot of things and I learned to, I certainly think as a woman and I've worked in lots of male dominated industries is to just get comfortable with yourself and, and and try not to focus on your development areas. One of my frustrations is we all kind of try and focus on our development areas. And you said one earlier, Kimberly, you like, you know, don't give me a spreadsheet and give me like loads of numbers and detail. You know what? That's probably always going to be, you know, a development area for you, but you know what? That's not the job you do. So, you know, focus on what you're great at and if you're a great accountant or a great lawyer whatever yeah it's no surprise that you're you know necessarily might not be creative or whatever but we spend a lot of time focusing on what we're great at and you're probably always not to be great at numbers that's just a fact but absolutely leverage all the things that you are phenomenal at and I've I think you have to find you know get peace with yourself that you know, we're all different. We all bring different things to the party. Some of us a big picture, some of us a detail. Like you say, some introvert, some extrovert. Um, you know, and introverts can be phenomenally effective, um, certainly with dominant dominant teams. And you know, everybody plays a different role. And so, for me, what I've learned is try not to be too hard on yourself about the things you're not great at, and actually try and leverage and focus and recognise what you are good at. Um, so um you know, after laugh certainly being construction today you know you never give me you never let me build a bridge you know it'd be upside down with <laughs> all the things on back to front um but give me something much more creative and visionary and strategic and I'm you know much more at peace so that would that would kind of be be my advice is I've definitely learned to stop trying to always address all your shortcomings mm. um know that no no you've got them for sure no you've got them that's very important. Um, but maybe just find peace with them.
0: I like that a lot. And, and the other thing, just to pull on there, is you know, I do a lot around inclusion and diversity. And this is such a poster for diversity and for inclusion because you are better at something than I am. Somebody else sitting at the table is going to have a different skill set. And when you have that diversity of thought and that diversity of ability around the table, that's when the magic happens because you mm-hmm. have the person that's actually looking at the detail and saying, Lucy, if you build that bridge, it's going to fall down. And you're like, but it's going to look amazing, you know? And, and then I'll be there cheering you on, being like, you can do it, Lucy, mm-hmm. as your encourager. You know, so you have you have these people around the table, but you have to have the people that can call out the risks. You have to have the people that can pull the brakes when they need to, the people that can crunch the numbers. And that diversity around the table really helps. And people with different backgrounds will bring different diversity, people with different educations, you know, all those different things. So that's just my little rah, rah, rah for inclusion and diversity.
1: No, but I think I think it's a really important point because, you know, this is helping the kind of portfolio career trajectories that we're seeing today, As which I genuinely don't think we saw much of, say, 10 years ago, and certainly not 20, you know, you became an engineer, that's where you stayed, or you became an accountant, that's where you stayed. And and people are now you know and it's funny the conversations you often hear about recruitment you know the wild card the kind of the diverse candidate these these are these are real discussions now of and you know what I was actually talking about someone only this week you know uh, about doing a particular position they're like yeah but that person's actually from a finance background you know and of course then the discussion was but that's what makes them so effective although they were in a commercial role so you know people are you know the dial is turning people are beginning to realize that actually the more you know diverse your skill set the more valuable you are um and of course you'll always have technical specialists like we said who who have a a straight line and are phenomenally brilliant at what they do but nowadays it's definitely I think a, a real advantage in the same way that I've jumped sectors you know looked at my LinkedIn profile it's like worked in various sectors um and that's better than saying I've spent x you know number of years in in one sector so so for me yeah don't see it as a barrier actually see it as something that you could potentially bring to the party
0: Mm. we talk also a bit about culture add and value add instead of wild cards so trying to actually Mm. change that vernacular a bit as well
1: no i agree yeah
0: so I've got to ask you the question that we ask every single one of our guests on the Undiscovered You, and that is, what is the best piece of advice you've either received, you've told someone, you've overheard, you may have gotten out of a fortune cookie? What's the, <laughs> what's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten?
1: And it's a little bit of a reference to what I said earlier, but you know, when you stop learning, it's time to move on um and that's been true and that's not me leaving the organization that might be leaving a you know moving a role and and for me that's been kind of every three years max four years or so I think you know you spend a kind of year getting to know a role a, a second year kind of getting really comfortable and a third year kind of nailing it and then wondering kind of what's coming next and and definitely you know one organization I probably stayed in too long and and I thought you know I really did stop learning um some time ago and you're almost scratching around to kind of do new things and and inevitably that leads to kind of you know um you become a bit kind of disillusioned and unmotivated so you know get motivated about perhaps doing something new um and just the thought about it a bit like your holiday get thinking about what's the next what's the next place to go and how could it be like what could it what could it offer you um what could this new this new relationship? um bring for you and bring for them so for me definitely you know keep learning uh, and stay where you keep learning and as I mean conversely it's not always about moving on if you're learning loads and deeply passionate about your job and highly motivated then you're in the you're in the right game
0: fabulous well I've, I love the idea of a voyage of discovery that's what you started with I love the idea of keep learning I love the idea of relying on people with technical expertise below you and using your leadership skills in the ways that you can, how you've shown us how you used your transferable skills and just walking us through this. Lucy, this has been incredibly exciting for me and I hope for our listeners as well and motivating for people who are feeling stuck to get themselves unstuck. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Kimberly.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Join us next week when I speak to Eileen Willett, the co-founder of Cucumber Clothing, all about transferable skills in the episode, The Skills That Pay the Bills. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope that you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.